For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra. And what a time right now. Quarantine. I've been quarantining for two months. I don't know about you guys, but I'm at the point where I'm losing it a little bit. Um, but more softball on TV this week did help. St. Pete Clearwater Invitational Tournament from earlier this year was on ESPNU. And all we kept saying the whole time that we did have softball this year was that it was like postseason softball in February. So it's a little sad since usually, you know, right now we're gearing up to finish off conference championships and the postseason selection show is supposed to come up. But I will say that we did have a couple consolations this week. May the 4th be with you. I hope that it was. And Cinco de Mayo was on Taco Tuesday this year. So if that's not poetic justice, I don't know what is. All right, so let's walk through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'm going to share more detailed info about the new Athletes Unlimited Pro Softball League. Then we'll head into our interview with today's special crossover guest, Sam Schwartzstein, the Director of Football Operations at the XFL. As sports fans know, it was a popular spring football league that launched this year before COVID-19 ran amok. So he knows a little something about building a new sports league, also a softball fan, and incorporated some elements of our game into the XFL. So we'll get to see a little bit of a different lens on softball with him. And finally, we'll finish up, as usual, with the double play tip of the week. Quick tip just to help us get better both physically and mentally. So let's get to it. Covering our bases. So last week, I gave a quick glimpse into what the new Pro Softball League with Athletes Unlimited would look like. So as promised, we're going to go deep in this week's episode. So a quick reminder, as I mentioned, Athletes Unlimited is an organization launching new pro leagues for women's sports, starting with softball late this summer. Of course, depending on the pandemic and the state of the world at that time. The board includes one of our own and Jessica Mendoza. Again, go Stanford. Shout out to the 805, always. But also Abby Wambach from the soccer side and Kevin Durant from the NBA. So the players that are getting on board now, we're seeing more and more. Danielle O'Toole, a past Believe in Softball guest on this show, and others too, like Victoria Hayward from Team Canada, Amanda Chittister from Team USA, Jesse Warren, NCAA champion a couple years ago at Florida State. So a ton are signing up. The premise behind Athletes Unlimited is that they're rethinking the game. But what does that mean? So the point system will exist for individual performance. They sort of compare it to Moneyball. So you get a certain amount of points, for example, for hitting a single, more points for a double than a triple and the most for a home run, right? And if you're caught stealing or something, you lose points. So it's got more of an individual focus with the belief that people follow players a little bit more over teams that might be driven from college softball and using that in transition to the pro side. And the teams are actually going to change every week. So the top individual performers with the most points will draft their new team each week. So it's really more about just having an elite group of athletes together in the same place in Chicago versus team affiliations. Will take place in August after the MPF was scheduled to wrap this summer. 
players themselves have been advisors and stakeholders in this league, calling the shots a little bit more. And here are the numbers. 56 athletes, six weeks in the season, a million dollars in compensation overall. So that's up to 35K per player, 10K minimum. And they get long-term profit participation and equity for players this year and 19 years from now. That's the summary. So for me, it's interesting. Innovation and growth is interesting. And it actually makes me think about the XFL. You know, they launched a new football league that actually did well this spring, despite the fact that it shut down because of COVID-19 cancellations. They did things well. And there are correlations here in my mind. There's the reimagination of the game, the strategic approach to the schedule, more opportunities for players to make a living and live their dream. And then, of course, making it fun and interesting for fans. These are all things that the XFL did and did well that Athletes Unlimited is also trying to do now. So we'll cover it all with today's guest. He was the director of football operations at the XFL, creator of the new XFL rules, previous product manager in Silicon Valley, former Stanford football captain, Rose Bowl champion, Pac-12 champion, all-conference center, and most importantly for our purposes, softball fan, Sam Schwartzstein. Thank you for joining. No, happy to be here. I think I have to be here, but I am happy to be here. Well, we are quarantined together. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if I want to sleep in the bed, I get to come on the podcast. It's the only way I can get in the bed. <laughs> And you have been hearing me do all these, so I'm sure you're just like, hey, at least you finally asked me to come on. I am jealous. I am jealous of all these women that have been able to come on and, and Jay Miller. Yeah. Well, we are recording this within six feet of each other. That's the first, maybe only second time since I've started this podcast, just given everything that's been going on. But as you mentioned or alluded to, you are my boyfriend of nine years. So yes. this is where I want to start. I've done time. <laughs> You know what? We've both done time, okay? But you've been in my life a long time, and that did include my Stanford softball days. You came to some games and everything like that, but why is it that you're a bigger fan of softball now than when I, the love of your life, the light of your world, was actually playing? I could come up with a lot of excuses, and I think <laughs> we'll talk about a few things I love about softball now. Um, just wasn't a good person or a good boyfriend back then, probably. <laughs> I think uh, college is my excuse. Um, no, but I am a huge fan of softball now. When I did product development for the XFL, I based a lot of our rule changes on softball and how they have made baseball, I believe, a much better game with the rules that changes for softball. So um, I have no solid answer that will ever get me out of the doghouse for not going to enough <laughs> games and not cheering loud enough. Um, but I do love the game now. Of all sports, they're really good at innovating and keeping the essence of the game inside of it as it evolves. Yeah, one answer that you have given me before that somewhat resonated, I won't let you completely off the hook, but is that I know and anyone that knows you knows that you love talking ball. You like talking shop, especially football, but really any sport that you find an interest in or can get behind. And your ability to actually do that with me now that we watch the games together, instead of you watching my games, we're able to watch something together and have those conversations. That is a little bit more engaging. And so I did understand that. Yeah, it has been nice to have in my world, we call this a Sherpa. I have a Sherpa taking me through the understandings of the game um, to know why certain things happen. I think early on, some of the excuses was I didn't like slapping. And there have been not rule changes, but rule enforcements 
that have made slapping less of a part of the game. Now it's more of a, a niche part and not when I was watching originally, you put your first three girls up, they might not be left-handed, but they were slapping. And so that has been a change that I've loved seeing and being able to adapt to how teams are playing to make the game better is a great thing that softball's done. What else do you find interesting that softball's doing? Like what's your favorite thing you've learned or the most thought-provoking? Um, the most thought-provoking thing that I've learned from softball is the fact that there's no one way to win. Um, the best way to win is with a stud pitcher. But when you watch UW play UCLA last year, you know, you had multiple pitchers coming in versus just pretty much the Rachel, Rachel Garcia show. And you can win with the long ball. You can win with the short game. Um, I've loved to see how there's so many different ways to win the game. And in college softball, there really is nothing like it. You mentioned slapping wasn't your favorite thing, but that really had to do with you coming from more of a baseball fan background, correct? Right. And the way Ichiro slapped in baseball, right? I was a big baseball fan. I knew a lot of the players' names. I did not know the game inside and out. But the way Ichiro slapped to me, you know, that ball was going into the outfield every time. He wasn't slapping it, just hit the ground. And knowing that it was a skill for him versus to try and manufacture uh, on base, that was a big deal for me. So, now I see the art of it. I see, you know, listening to Tasha Watley come on the podcast, I understand the game a little bit more to know why slapping is such a big part of it. Um, even your dad's helped out and kind of talking about base paths and things like that that make the, make it a viable product. And even you talking about how you, you love the challenge. I still get scared. As a defender. As a defender, you love the challenge. I still get scared watching the third baseman get so close. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Got to. But, you know, that, that's the toughness that these girls have. And in terms of what's interesting about it, one thing that I knew as a player, but that you really kind of reopened my eyes or almost reminded me of is just the energy and dedication behind it, especially in the postseason of softball. With the Women's College World Series, like I always knew that, but seeing how excited you got because of how excited they were was something that did feel special to this game. Yeah, and I'll dive deep into that. Um kind of later because that is the thing that I tried to take the most essence from from college softball is it is not the highest level of softball being played with the MPF and the Olympics but it's the highest energy you'll see out of the game and every girl only cares about winning the World Series right now we haven't been in the Olympics for I think 12 years so that is the creme de la creme and you've never seen people so excited to win a championship when you win a championship in college football or college baseball, you know there's always that next level. That energy, a collective energy from the team, everyone is cares so much about it, which I think is different than other sports. And then everybody has the same goal. Well, we've touched on it a little bit, but I really want to dive deep into it now. You know what it's like to launch a sports league. And the XFL really set out to reimagine football. And you looked to softball for some of those aspects as you were doing that during that process. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to talk about what that means exactly. What were the main goals of the XFL? Yeah, so the XFL was a startup football league that was started by Vince McMahon. This was the second time around for Vince McMahon, best known for creating the WWE. And he's an entertainer. He saw that this is the number one um, television product in the world is football. Uh, maybe outside of soccer, but in America, it is the number one product in the world, television product in the world. So why not get a piece of that? He did research so that fans want more of it. 
but they want a few things changed. So what my job was is when Oliver Luck, who I played with his son Andrew in college, when he hired me, he said, bring the Silicon Valley product development process to rules in football. And so Vince wants to reimagine the game, but Vince is not a football guy. So we need to match up what our fans' needs are, which was minimize idle time speed of the game, reduce meaningless plays, and create a fun, exciting game. With that in mind, I set out and looked at all other sports that had adapted or changed from their original rule set to identify how do we kind of create that essence. At the end of the day, our rule book was 87% the same as the NFL rule book. So the essence was still there for football fans to be recognizable. We did minor tweaks on a few things that fans did not like. They didn't give us the specifics on how to change it. We did that ourselves. So one of the big products I looked at was softball, which had roots in baseball, but was adapted to a different kind of game, but still had that same essence. Yeah, the speed of the game was something that you mentioned just now, and less stall, more ball was like an unofficial model of the XFL in that regard. But another thing that was pretty innovative, or at least to this level, um, we hadn't seen it before, was the access that was available, really, for the fans and the media covering the games, like getting in someone's face right after they miss a field goal. Interesting, right? Um, But then the safety piece, too. Like the kickoff rule is something that was specifically – beloved by people who are watching the XFL fans, but also just football experts, just because of the thought process behind it. What all did you oversee in approaching this? So I was the first hire for the XFL on the football side. So Oliver took the job and he hired me right away. So my main purpose was understanding the rule book, how we're going to change the rules. What kind of business model are we going to put together to get good football, but also not spend too much money? kind of overseeing most of football operations. I had a great team with me. We had 11 of us in the league office. And gameplay was your big focus? Yeah, so I was, um, internally, I was called the head of gameplay. So anything that took place in the field. So I wasn't selling tickets. I wasn't selling merchandise. I wasn't selling sponsorships. But if it took place in the field, I had my hand in that pot. So as part of gameplay, rules was the big piece, obviously. And like you said, you innovated on certain things, kept some things the essence of football as we knew it already. But the kickoff rule as an example, can you go into more depth so that we really understand the entire process that went into all of these adjustments that you made? Right. So our rule change process was built on three things. We wanted to talk to experts, identify truly what the problems are, create a great data set based on what that problem is, test it, and then repeat that process. We ended up repeating that process for 25 rules, ended up being 15. We started with 100. And getting down to repeating that process eight times before fans ever saw it. So we had Testing. Eight, yeah, eight times to repeat our product development process. Eight total tests that we did. Live tests with real players, real coaches, before fans ever saw it on TV. With kickoff specifically, you had two problems. It's a meaningless play in the NFL because it only has returned 34% of the time. And they did that for a good reason. It's the most dangerous play. Kickoffs are 6% of total plays and 21% of total concussions. So... We wanted to limit the concussions and maximize the amount of plays. So we identified what actually causes the concussion, and that's because the teams start 10 yards apart, sprint 35 yards, and then create a collision. No amount of coaching, no amount of uh, technology is going to stop two humans coming at each other from 35-yard head start to not create a concussion opportunity. So we started the players from where they normally make contact, five yards apart, on the opponent's side of the field, 
Nobody moves until the ball is caught when people normally move when the ball is kicked. This eliminated the large run-up for concussions. We now had zero concussions and 131 total kickoffs. Um, it was a big success for us with over 90% of our kickoffs returned. So we tripled the amount of returns people saw, and we eliminated the danger part of the play, which is a concussion. Now, all football plays, some, there's an opportunity for someone to get hurt, but we really wanted to target our players' brain health as well. Yeah, because that's even something you heard from fans, right? That they wanted to know that there was a level of safety there for the players. They don't want to be thinking like, hey, I'm watching this game and these people might be hurting themselves. The quote we heard often from fans where they didn't want to be complicit in player injuries. They know there's a risk that players take when they play football, but they also know if someone changes a rule, it needs to make the game safer, not more dangerous. Right. So that's the part of it, the process that you guys took. That's only one example of the many different things that you did in this league. And in addition to that, you did things like coach-to-player communication, where you're actually allowing coaches to talk directly to players in their helmets. And you had a new ball technology in terms of the X grip. So it's little mini Xs instead of the dot pebbles that we're used to seeing in the NFL or college. And those things, you even have patents pending for those. And there's so many different pieces that are moving into a venture like this, the XFL or New Sports League. What elements then specifically in this process did you model after softball? Softball, again, is adapted from baseball. And what they did that was unique to me, in my opinion, was they had the seven innings instead of nine, when normally the three outs correlated to the nine players on the field, which correlated to um, three strikes. Everything was this derivative of three, which would get to the nine. And now you have a seven. That's a new part of it. That gets to the overall game timing. Uh, they went from overhand pitching to underhand pitching. Much safer, natural movement. That helped create star players. And then lastly, college softball specifically was built on passion. So when you take game timing, player identification, the star player and college pitcher, and then lastly, passion. No sport has more passion, in my opinion, than collegiate softball World Series. That is, the college softball World Series is amazing because those players are at the highest level right now that you see on TV all working for a common goal knowing there's not anything too big on the other side of it. This is the creme de la creme, which is unique to softball. And when you talk about these things, can we dig in a little bit more? So with game timing, the speed of the play, you talked about the seven innings versus the nine innings. What else was interesting about that? Yeah, so our fans asked to minimize idle time. So that's the time between plays and then the overall time. So minimize total time of the game. And softball's done a great job of that. The way that they're able to handle the battery, as I've learned, is now the pitcher and catcher. They're able to go much faster than baseball. Also, you don't see as many substitutions, right? So in softball, you typically see one to two pitchers a game, right? That means no changes for pitchers throughout. You're able to go faster. In baseball, when Tony La Russa was the first time I noticed it, Tony La Russa in the World Series against the Rangers, the Cardinals change pitcher almost every at-bat. That doesn't happen in softball. You see the one player, she'll go out there, she'll throw a rise ball, screwball. Some teams have multiple, but you're not changing per batter, you're not changing per inning based on what might come up. So for us, it was how do we model that speed of the game? There are substitutions in our game, but we need to give our teams tools to help make those substitutions faster. And the NFL, it takes 19 seconds to call a play. In our game, it took eight seconds to call a play. 
much faster based on the technology coach to player communication that you referenced. So that was much better for us to be able to that idle time cut it down. Overall time, we had a running clock. So normally the quarters in football are 15 minutes. We ran the clock on every play outside the last two minutes of each half. So first 28 minutes, run the clock, stop it for out of bounds, but then continue running. And then we just stop the clock after every play. So we shortened that overall time. We had five less plays in the NFL per game, 30 less minutes. So it was a big deal. And that's kind of how we modeled that pace of play and that excitement from softball. Softball, you can be in and out in two hours sometimes. World Series game, two and a half hours. I was targeting two hours and 45 minutes. We were at two hours and 50 minutes. The comparison between baseball and softball in this way, you know, baseball is around three hours. And like you said, softball can be around two. And it was almost like that's the approach you took with the NFL versus the XFL. But you also mentioned star players in terms of the pitchers. Right. So pitcher in softball, in my opinion, is the most valuable player in all of sports because one, they can pitch 200 pitches in back-to-back days. Rachel Garcia last year was pitching every game in the World Series. She also was a great hitter and batted third or fourth in her in their lineup. That doesn't happen in baseball. Shohei Otani is probably the only pitcher who has a plus side of batting. Showtime. Showtime, baby. Um, we knew that we need to invest in star players. So we we're going to try and find the best talent, but we we're going to go out and actively get players who might not have considered us and pay them more money at the quarterback position. Because quarterback's probably the second most valuable player after collegiate softball pitcher. So we wanted to not only invest in our starting quarterback, but our backup quarterback. So the second highest paid player on each team was the backup quarterback. Every team had two people that we knew. The game's going to be fine because we have that position figured out. Just like in softball, you know, you need to have a full team to win a World Series. But to get to World Series, Sam Shaw won some games on her own. <laughs> right? You know, she had a, two home runs in a game where she only gave up one run. So she won the game on her own. We wanted to have a similar type concept to where the level of play needed to be at a certain level. So let's model it after college softball. Teams in the NFL have about eight good players. You can draft a quarterback, a young guy, and build a roster. We knew for year one we had to have that quarterback position figured out. That is interesting. What you said, the pitchers who hit, too, specifically, because they can do so much. They're helping themselves out. And with quarterbacks, it's not exactly the same in the sense that football is you typically, for the most part, play offense or you play defense. In softball, you play both. With the pitchers, it's more often, like you said, that you also play both in softball versus baseball. But you can think of it in the sense that, like, well, you do want your quarterback to also be versatile and be able to run well, be able to read the defense well, be able to do other things as that star player. So I think that correlation makes sense. And you mentioned the battery as well between the pitcher and the catcher in softball. I've always thought of it with football, you being a center, you're kind of that mind and that leader that works with the quarterback. You guys are the only ones who touch the ball every single play. It's the same thing with the pitcher and a catcher. And so it's almost like building that out as the core and then building around it too, because then you have star players like big play Shea from Oklahoma softball, who's not part of the battery, but a huge part of building around the star player in the circle. Right, and that, that's a great point. You bring up the versatility. Our star player, who was our Rachel Garcia, was a guy named P.J. Walker, formerly Philip Walker, when I first knew him when he was on the Colts. Then he went back to being P.J. Walker, and he played for the XFL Houston Roughnecks. So you team Philip or team P.J. then? 
I'm team PJ because PJ put lit up the scoreboard for me. So <laughs> okay, PJ's to, good luck. PJ's good luck. So he was a player that was overlooked in the NFL because he was shorter, um, didn't weigh too much on the quarterback position, and ran. He was a mobile guy. Um, there's a few of those in the NFL, but there's not a ton of teams that have offenses built around those guys. So we targeted him as a guy that was an overlooked talent that wasn't being used correctly. Now he's with a team and Joe Brady uh, at the Carolina Panthers that will use him in the correct way. But with us, we were able to highlight that level of, of play to where he could run around. He could do things that were more than just sit back and throw the ball. I think I'm team PJ too over Phillip. Yeah, PJ is way better than Phillip. I mean, the nicknames, that's when you know like you're feeling good, you're flowing, right? And maybe I'm biased because now people call me Jenna, but not a single teammate of mine, as you know ever calls me Jenna. It sounds foreign if it came out as uh, Jenna instead of JB from Ashley or Haber or any one of your former teammates. Even Coach Al when we see her in Palo Alto, it's it's very weird. She doesn't call you Jenna. It's always JB. Yes. And Coach Alistair, Haber, and Hanson have all been on this podcast and they always start out in the beginning like, hey, Jenna, I'm so happy to be here. But then over time, as we start talking about things, they're like, yeah, JB, let me tell you this. Let me tell you that. Because that's just that's just how it is. The last thing that we wanted to figure out was how do we get the level of passion that softball has? You've heard me reference it multiple times. You hear me talk about it nonstop when we watch games. And how do we match that level of passion? So we built our player pay structure very correlated to winning the game because I don't necessarily care about my individual player stats. More I care about that the fans are given the product they want. Their team doing everything they can to win the game. So my first job was make good football. And I, it was a big thing. How do you define good football? I use, I'm analytical, so I tried to use a lot of numbers to define it. I spoke to somebody, and then what they said to me was, if the players on the field care, and the people in the stands will care, the people at home will care. And so that's how we built our player comp model. We paid our players half their salary and base salary that they got throughout the year. And they got paid more, they got double, if they won the game. So playing in the game is important, but winning the game is even more important. So that aligned our players. So all of our players were players that the NFL passed up on. So that's why we needed to have more incentive because a lot of our players were using us to get back to the NFL, to show the NFL that they missed on them. I wanted them to focus on what the fans wanted, which was to win the game, not to leave the league. So by paying the players more, we got them more invested in the game. Other startup football leagues had just paid them base salary like the NFL, and players would quit on the team. Players would decide after four games, my agent's telling me the NFL's going to call me, and they're not going to play anymore. They'd fake a hamstring injury. We wanted the players to celebrate all victories, to go crazy, which you would end up seeing in our Bud Light Seltzer post-game celebrations. (laughs) The players celebrating every win like they just won the XFL championship. What was the cleanup like for that? You know... I have I wore many hats. My job description when I first started was big, but tarping away locker rooms and home locker rooms was not part of it. I still had to do it. For Bud Light Seltzer. For Bud Light Seltzer. <laughs> All for the love of football and Bud Light Seltzer. So that was a big part of how we wanted to do it is make our players care more than they might have anywhere. They're not getting paid big money like they are in the NFL. They're not getting paid in college softball at all. How do we match that level of enthusiasm and make it about winning the game? And that was our, our structure to try and say, we want to, I want every game to look like a softball game, a softball championship. 
Do you have a specific example from softball? A moment maybe or something you saw where you were like, yes, that's what I'm trying to recreate? College World Series, I think last year, two years ago, Jesse Warren came from third and made an amazing diving catch. The game wasn't over, but she celebrated that like it was everything. And her teammates rallied. And she had freaking tattoos of softball on her body. (laughs) She had teammates' numbers tattooed on her body. It was amazing. And you felt so good for them when they ended up winning the national championship because of how much that team cared. Coming from the ACC, which is a forgotten conference in softball, they were able to overcome a lot of odds and win. And Jesse Warren and her love of softball radiated through that whole team. And it was, it took the storm. I have chills thinking about it. That was an awesome part of it. I think another one for me is the, you know, we talk about shortening the game, but for classics, they can go long. Shay Knighton, her home run in extra innings in the World Series. That was palpable energy. That was a four-hour game that was almost two games in one that you just – the place erupted. Oklahoma City was set on fire that night. It was amazing to see how that – and that they still had two more games after that. So (laughs) it was a big deal to see that level of excitement and try and marry it up to what we're trying to do with the XFL. There's so many different elements with players like that, that you've mentioned, some of these softball players, there are, like you said, some opportunities available in terms of playing professionally, but nothing so far that has really matched what the college level has been, especially in terms of the Women's College World Series, all the coverage they're getting and everything else. There's the NPF. We've talked about it on this podcast. There's the Japan Softball League, and there's independent teams like the Scrapyard Dogs, USSA Pride, etc. And now there's a new pro league in town launching with Athletes Unlimited. So when you talk about reimagining aspects of the game, Abby Wambach actually used that. She literally said they're reimagining what could be possible for women's sports. So from what you know about it, what jumps out at you the most with this approach? And especially as you think about what you did at the XFL. Right. And so I've spent tons of time thinking about this because now I'm in this niche community of startup sports leagues and that's all I worry about. I did it the same beforehand. I looked at softball, looked at esports, I looked at the PLL. I try and gather all the information in these startup sport leagues. I re-engineered football. I changed a few things about it. Vince started out reimagining and then we really found that fans just want football. This is a true reimagination process. What they're not changing is the core rules of softball. You will still play softball the same way that you see in college softball. What is going to be different is the incentives, and that's a complete reimagination process. They are not going to have coaches. The players are going to coach. They're going to all be on different teams each week. When they're going to be redrafted by their own teammates, they're going to be living all in one location with. This is our true reimagination process when you're creating about the individual. There are some things that I'm really excited about for them because they are taking a big leap here. They're starting with the perfect sport, softball, choosing to piggyback off of the MPF or timing of the year to make sure that they don't have to keep players warmed up and trained. I only had about eight players that played in the NFL that came and played in my league with about 456. So I had to get them back in shape. They'll already be in shape there. But they're really changing this incentive process, which has a few problems with it that you can never test. 
because it's all based on what will evolve once it's a live game. So an example would be if a pitcher gets paid more for not giving up home runs or if they get paid more based on where the out takes place, they can pitch to have that happen. They can go into business for themselves. We did not have any individual player incentives in our league. It was all about winning the game. So you were incentivized there. So I get nervous sometimes with that, but it still is an amazing process to say, we're going to update the game and incentives for the modern fan. Because really what it is right now with the point system, it ends up being a combination of like an all-star game and fantasy sports. And I think it's interesting too, that the athlete is becoming the coach. That's a new area that players are having to tap into and a new skill set that they're having to learn. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think for me, one of my goals at the XFL was I wanted to develop coaches. Startup football leagues had done a great job innovating on the game of football. That was one of my biggest excitements was to push the game of football forward. And we had some great young coaches in our league. I believe Athens Unlimited has an opportunity to create the next great crop of coaches because you're going to have Mm. these players learning that skill set live before they're ever doing it at a university level or a professional uh, team-based level. So they're already learning that skill set. And because they're players as well, they might be willing to try new and crazy things that they've always wanted to. Right. Because you're not going to lose your job. You're just going to be a player next week and not a coach. Right. (laughs) There is no disincentive to not try innovative things, which is what makes the game great. Any game is innovation and strategy. So I'm really passionate. The next Lani Alameda, the next... Lisa Fernandez could come out of this as a great coach because they got this early. I think Coach Ford, when she came on here, it was impressive because she didn't even realize. She got Mr. Miyagi. She was coaching while playing at St. Mary's. Right. They didn't realize she was developing all these coaching traits, and then it made an easier transition for her when she became a coach. That can happen here with Athletes Unlimited. I think it's going to be great for the game. They're taking on more roles in general, too, because – they actually have like player advisory boards and players that have been giving insight into the league throughout this time. And I think for me, it's interesting because for anybody who truly loves a sport, being able to try new things and be a founding member of building something new to grow the game, because that specifically for softball, everyone that I've talked to, Monica Abbott, Natasha Watley, all these people who have had such an impact as a player on the field, their main focus is growing the game at the end of the day. So to be able to do that, that's kind of the dream. You know, in some of these interviews that I've seen with Sam Shaw, a player you mentioned, Sasha Palacios from ASU and Team Mexico, Taryn Alvello from Washington and Puerto Rico, that's what they talk about. It's the opportunity and the challenge of having to make adjustments. And even with your teammates, because you're used to kind of like depending on that chemistry you have with the same group of girls you compete with, that's going to mix it up. So it's kind of meeting a new challenge and exploring new territory. And that's obviously a correlation with the XFL. Yeah, I think they have the right idea. I get nervous about a few things with their league. Um, There really are three main cogs to make money in startup sports leagues. The first and the biggest one is distribution. So that's TV money is often called. But distribution can now be on digital, flow sports, Twitch, or Netflix different avenues to get your game out there. They give you money up front and then you play the games and they get advertising dollars. And that's still a possibility with Athletes Unlimited. They still can get distribution. The next is ticket sales. That's a big deal. It's going to be hard to sell tickets when you're all in one location every week. 
Um, you should not bank on ticket sales paying for all your players' salaries based on playing in one location your entire season. The next big cog is expansion fees. And so the MLS has been doing this a lot to where every year they'll bet a new team, join the league, they'll pay a higher amount of expansion fee. That money will be distributed amongst all teams to help pay for salaries. If you don't have team structures, you're ignoring the ability to have expansion fee added on to the league. So it's a big piece that they're saying they're going to ignore traditional avenues of generating revenue, which is ticket sales and expansion fees and focus only on distribution. Now, with that being said, I think that's smart. Get really good at one thing and then you can expand the other things. There's nothing saying Athletes Unlimited will always be a digital-only incentive-based all-star league. What it's saying is we're going to give fans more of what they want, which is softball, one of the fastest-growing sports in our country, in a unique way to get them in, involved, and then they can grow to those other avenues. But it is it is hard for startup sports leagues and ones that have you know, gone under to see that you're going to ignore a certain amount of revenue by not having a system built for that. And, and I don't really know if they're necessarily ignoring this revenue altogether. Granted, there's also, so far, there's only been some details that have come out. More and more details are coming out about Athletes Unlimited and exactly how it will work. They did say that they will likely kind of lean on traditional revenue sources like sponsorships, broadcast deals, digital merchandise and tickets, like you said. But the other thing that has come out, especially during this time, because if they do get to play in August... Likely there won't be fans. So to your point, the ticket sales thing is out the window. But because of this sort of fantasy sports layout that they have with this point system, in some ways, they're thinking that they will be built for no fans actually attending because that fantasy sports model already works in terms of engaging people remotely. So I think the idea is to, hey, if we actually do this live, it's not just a, a game on our computers. It's actually live. We're going to play this out like fantasy sports in real life. They may have a shot at still engaging an audience. Yeah, no, and they, they absolutely can. Um, you will lose without teams. You definitely can't have expansion fees. Without true locations and teams, you can't sell those tickets in those locations every week. If you're playing all in one location, you're not going to sell out you know, 40,000 seats in four different locations if you have eight teams. You're only going to sell 40,000 seats in one location. So there's ways to where they're not generating as much money because they're going with such a reimagined process of sports. They're really putting the emphasis on the sport itself, not necessarily on the broader spectrum of the business model that comes with having a sports league and team. Right. And a couple of things pop into my mind based on what you're saying. One of them is around the data and the testing piece, because like you mentioned earlier, it's really difficult to test, hey, how will this point system affect the way that the players draft the teams? Or will it change the way that they play? It's harder to test that. Whereas for you, you mentioned your process earlier. You guys did deep research for the XFL to figure out, let's identify the areas that could be improved within football. Let's ideate on what those improvements are, test them extensively, and then it's about getting the coaches and the players and everyone ready and on board and prepared to actually go out there and implement it all. And that's difficult to do in this situation with the nature of the league itself, the way it's formatted, but also the fact that we can't really just run out and, and play games casually right now. Right. You won't see in the six week season, you won't see crazy differences week one likely, but as the weeks go on, 
players, especially the people drafting, will be able to figure out how to best manipulate the draft system to benefit themselves, right? And that's that's the fear is, you know, there's going to be more money involved for what you do for individual performance. So you should you're incentivizing the player to do that. So if you're a pitcher, when you give up runs to base hits, it's less negative towards you than giving up a home run. You're going to draft the home run hitters onto your team so that the base hit players are on the other team. Those base hit players may rack up more runs overall, but you're not giving up as many home runs, so you're not hurting yourself. So we don't know the point system. This is all speculation at this point. We know the, just the basics, but we don't know all of it. You know, no. we know that like a single is 10 points, a double is 20, and a home run might be 40, right? Or we know that that's the concept. But like, yes, we are still waiting on more details. So that has to be buttoned up. Softball and baseball scoring has been the same for years. This is going to be brand new. You're not going to make a perfect system. We did not make a perfect system the first time out. I had 12 delay games the first time I had a new play clock. Thank God I was given time and money to be able to test this multiple times. So we could get there, get the right technology in there. So I get nervous for Athletes Unlimited only because they don't have that, that time. Now, if everyone in, fan including, is invested in this, hey, this is experimental and we should support it, I think it'll be fine. But if players start manipulating it and they don't act quickly, there could be problems. Yeah, we want to maintain the purity that makes softball so great. But the other thing is the scheduling of it, the fact that this is starting after the NPF season. So theoretically, you could play as a professional softball player, you could play in the NPF and then go straight into Athletes Unlimited. So that leads to a few different things in terms of compensation that you're getting Softball players as professionals, beyond just what everybody loves to see every year in the Women's College World Series, are able to make more money playing softball professionally. That's something that's a struggle for women's sports across the board, which is why Athletes Unlimited is doing what they're doing. But you're able to make, at minimum, $10,000 in six weeks. Now, compared to football and looking at the NFL, kind of peanuts when you're talking about professional-level athletes. However, to make that kind of money in that short amount of time, if you look at the rest of the U.S. and what they're making, it's actually pretty good. And that's the minimum. You can make up to 35 k And they have a million dollars in compensation ready in general. And there's also equity in terms of long-term profit participation for players this year and 19 years from now. So I think that's interesting, getting more of that investment. But that's another element that makes this particularly interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely. On a per-week basis, guaranteed salary is more than what we paid in the XFL. That's a big deal. That softball players are going to be getting livable wages at minimum on this six-week basis. You could use all your vacation time for a year and still have a full-time job somewhere else and get to play in this league. That's super interesting. It'll be interesting how they do housing. Will they be paying for all their homes? Now, think about their meals. Will they be paying insurance? Those are all aspects of it that go into it that are big savers for people if they're able to get that. We were able to provide our players with insurance as long as we were paying them, and that was a big deal for a lot of our players. Um, this could be a big deal if they're doing that as well, if they're able to provide all those ancillary things that are outside of just compensation to where they can have this money go straight into their pocket. And we have had these types of conversations a bit on this show too. Kaylani Ricketts actually was talking about the usual process that happens for a softball player who's playing professionally is you play in that pro league, 
whether that's the NPF, Japan Softball League, whatever it is. And then often people are an assistant coach coaching somewhere in college softball during the school year. And that's how you make a living. Because right now you can't just play pro softball and make a living. Obviously, the sponsorships and outside things help as well. But what I like about this is that it allows you to have another source of revenue on top of it rather than competing with the NPF. They even talked with Sherry Kemp, the commissioner of the NPF, and they wanted this to, to be a collaborative effort to where, hey, this is a softball community actually trying to work together because I think unification across pro softball is also going to be important for fans to be able to follow it really easily. And that's something that Monica Abbott mentioned on our show as well. The unification piece for pro softball is easier for fans and it'll be more beneficial for us as a sport. And again, any softball player that loves the game has success and can't quite let it go. And, and it could be in, in many different ways. You're either still playing, you're covering it like I am. You're starting a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right? You have a podcast. Whatever it is, that's the goal. Again, at the end of the day, is the growth of the game. And I think that's what's a little more unique and pure about softball. And that's something that with football, you know, it's already the biggest sport in the U.S., the XFL almost reinvigorated that energy, though, like what softball has within football. Right. We we kind of had the slogan for the love of football. You saw it everywhere if you followed the game. And that's really what it was. The social media was about loving football. The gameplay was about making football better. The players' compensation structure was about passion and love for football. Softball has a unique opportunity to build up to a big-time sport in this country and maintain its level of love and not lose what it was originally about girls coming together with a common goal, playing a really fun game. Let's grow the game without selling out, basically. (laughs) I said a lot more words. You said a lot better. (laughs) That's kind of how it works with us, though. So what's one thing that you did really well, you feel, at the XFL, that Athletes Unlimited should take into what they're doing? And one thing that you think you guys learned that you could have done better that Athletes Unlimited should learn from? I think that the way that I believe they're starting with this very focused, singular business model type approach, I know they can say as much as they want about sponsorship shells. They're not coming really for year one. Focus. Be focused. Don't try and boil the ocean. Sometimes in the rest of our business, we saw things that, ooh, can we do this? I did it with coach-to-player communication. Thought we could go bigger, better. Really, let's solve the problem we need to now. Get fans excited about softball year-round. That's your job. Do it cost-effectively. Focus on that. Don't try and go too many different places. Focus. Okay, so do fewer things well. Right. Focus on knocking out of the park and getting fans excited about watching their favorite players play softball. Don't try and focus on ticket sales and too many outside aspects that don't necessarily make this proof of concept work, which is the millennial individual player-focused fan loving and watching that sport. What we did well was every step of the process was for the fan. That's who we served. From one of my very first meetings with Vince McMahon, he said to me, this is not my league. This is not Oliver's league. This is not your league, Sam. This is the fan's league. What does the fan want and build towards them? Every decision I ended up making was focusing on how does this benefit the fan? Whether it's a new rule change in or creating a new compensation structure. How do we give the fans exactly what they need, which is great football in the spring? Unfortunately for COVID, we weren't able to do it multiple years, but that mindset had set us up for multiple years of success because we were able to put that fan first. 
That was your North Star. Right. You know, and then the fan wants a lot of things, though. And so that's where the ticket sales come in. That's where the sponsorship sales come in. Focus on what the fan wants. For us, it was football. As long as we can give them more football and a unique twist, fix their problems that they have with the game, they'll love the game. And they did. They really did. That's the thing is, really, the XFL was a success with the venture that you guys took. It was, unfortunately, another victim to COVID-19, along with spring softball and the Olympics are postponed and everything else. It just fell into that bucket. But I do think that Athletes Unlimited and any other sports league that they're trying to start in general really can learn from what you all did. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it, it shows that if you're putting your client first, any business, it'll work out. Make a great product for them. Focus on them. Go back to them. Keep asking them. You're not smarter. We talked to over 100 experts in the world. We talked to 6,000 fans. And then we interviewed more fans. You're not smarter than all these people. Take their information, digest it, and produce what they want. That will make any business, any sports league successful as long as they're listening and enacting on what their fans want. And as a softball fan, I kind of want to talk to you about what you would want. So in another life, if you played softball, what position would you play? I've thought about this quite a bit. You referenced <laughs> it earlier. For those who don't know, I'm a bit I'm a big boy. I was even a bigger boy. Um, <laughs> well, O line. O lineman, right? right? So I was three hundred and seven pounds. Was not the best in space, so I'm not playing middle <laughs> infield. Um, so I've always thought of myself as a first baseman or a catcher because a catcher gets to do very similar to what a center does, which you kind of dictate the pace of the play of the game. And so um, you're making calls out, you're doing things. You don't got to move too much. Uh, sometimes they ask me to pull on a reverse. That's probably like when there's a pop fly. You're going and chasing after the ball. So there's a few things that remind me of that. That's probably what it would be. But I'm not getting the outfit. I'm not sprinting around there. No way. No how. <laughs> not in the green, just the dirt for you? Get me that designated runner once I get to first base or it's going out of the park. That's how <laughs> I'm not thinking about it. That's fair. I feel like that's on brand for you. <laughs> that is the, hey, I've thought about this quite a bit. You're the muscle. You're the smarts. Let, let's just be behind the dish. Don't don't try and do my ankle flexion. I don't need to worry about, you know, my, my posterior chain movement. You'll be used to people just running right into you, too. Like, if you're covering home plate, like, you got it. Yep, I wore it uh, quite a bit. Yep. <laughs> about, to, about to take Manti Taylor than a softball to the face, though. That's scary. <laughs> well, what would your walk-up song be, then? Wow. This is, this is, I have to give you a little backstory. So, in football, pre and warm-up is, you know, very specific on what time you walk out. The centers at Stanford, we walked out at 43 minutes. So I timed it up with our DFO, our Director of Football Operations, that I would walk out as Thunderstruck started playing. So I technically had a walk-up song, one of the very few college football players who had a walk-up song. But football and softball are very different. So if I was a softball player, I'd probably have the Top Gun theme song um, because I love that. (laughs) But if I'm in a mood, I need to get out of a slump. It's a very bad grunge song by a band called Faith No More. It's called Epic. Okay. I'm not going to sing it to you. Know that it's bad. Thank you for but, that. But know that it is my walk-up song. Okay. So you're you're keeping Thunder for warm-ups, but then when we're actually in game time, you're giving me this other garbage? I'm giving you, <laughs> it's grunge, not garbage. Oh, sorry. 
Same thing in my book. <laughs> I want to wrap up with a little game called Safer Out. I know this game very well. You do. As an avid listener of Believe in Softball, you are very familiar. So I'm going to mention something to you. You tell me safe or out. Safe if you like it, out if you don't like it. Got it. Got it? All right. So unique first names in softball. I'll give you an example, just so this is super clear. The mom bomb queen who I've talked about on the show, UCLA, Genevieve Perez. Her name's actually not Genevieve, it's Genevieve, and she spells it J-E-N-A-V-E-E. So creative names like that, safer out. You know, so I'm that weird casual fan. I'm a hardcore casual fan. I still don't know everything that's going on in the game. So, you know, those fans typically have something hilarious they love about the sport. It is one of my favorite things about the sport is the <laughs> wild names. I don't know if it's just young people in general have crazy names. People stopped reading the Bibles and they don't have, you know, Bible names. I'm going to have to go safe on crazy names. Safe. You know it's one of my favorite things. Just I, I, There's so many different ways you can spell Kaylee. There really should only be zero, but yeah. there's, you know, I think we've seen four different ways on one team before. I actually, yeah, Kaylee Arredondo from Arizona, who played during my time, had an apostrophe, K apostrophe L E. Yeah, it's out of nowhere. Um, yeah. We football players, we have our fair share of wild names, um, but I think that softball themselves, they, you know, we'll have, you know, a lot of vowels in a name in football, but a girl named Darren. Is just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, what is it? Cal State Bakersfield might be my first team all name team. They had a wild <laughs> set of names on their team. Parents in the late 90s were, were experimenting. Yeah, there's a lot. I think it might have been the Nickelodeon slime that got to their brains or something from the 90s, but I don't know I don't know what was going on. Well, you're the one that pointed this out to me. I never really thought much about it, about the way people spell the names and just different names that people had in softball. And then once you pointed it out, I couldn't unsee it after Even that. a basic thing. Your team had three Tegans. <laughs> I've never heard the name Tegan before. And now you got three of them on okay. one team? We had two when I played, but there's a current Tegan Cows on Stanford's team. Yes. One of my favorite players on Stanford, by the way. They also recruit everybody with the same name. There were two Jennas, two Tegans, two Ashleys on the team all at once when I played. It's crazy. Maybe just the crazier the name, the crazier athlete. I don't I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure. What a wild what it just Every time, you know, when we go to a game at Stanford, I have to get the one sheeter that's got everyone's name on it. And I have to go through and I get hyped, hyped up about it. That is something we have that we share with our sports <laughs> because football's names are hilarious. That's why Key and Peele did a skit about it. East vs. West. It's like one of their best, if not the best. So, yeah, I think next year at the World Series, we should make a video of the top names from the World Series. We should do an all-name team. I'm in for that. That's 100% happening. All right, one more safer out. Bat flips, safer out. I'm all in on safe. You're not going <laughs> to strike me out today, Becerra. These, <laughs> if it's about fun and passion for the game, I'm for it. I get nervous about retaliation, which doesn't happen in softball. It's one of the better well, parts. Well, not as much. It not happens. As, as much but maybe seen. not as, yeah. We've seen some people go rogue, coaches too. So, <laughs> you know, when there's passion involved. Um, but I think that the way that 
Sam Xiao kind of ignited the sport, and people we knew that weren't softball fans were asking us about it. That's good to grow the game. And she did it not as like a malevolent thing. She just did it because that's how hyped up she was. <laughs> now, all these girls need to watch the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, because we've got it now on ESPN. And these guys are graceful with their bat flips. It's part of a show. It's almost ballet how they do their bat It's like flip. one movement because they literally just as they finish their swing, it's like a flip built in. Right. It's just – and you can clearly see that they practice it, right? It's not Joey, Joey <laughs> Bats or Jose Batista, not him just spiking the bat after a big home run in the eighth inning. This is something that, you know, they, they go – that's part of their lifestyle is the bat flip. And I think that, yeah, everyone should be upset. But what's great about sports is, especially softball, you get to go up too unless it's the bottom of the seventh, you know. You get to go back up there and bat flip on them. That You always get an opportunity for it. So – I think that it's it's an awesome thing. I love it. I know Daniel Laurie might not be the biggest fan of it, you know, and she says she's coming right at you afterwards. But I think that it's great for the game. It makes it fun, exciting, expands, and gets more people eyeballs on the game. A thousand percent recency bias with us watching Korean baseball recently, along with a lot of the world because it's finally a live sport on TV. But all right, I can dig it. One more safer out. We're doing a full three pitches. Game, although know? you already have two runners on at this point, but one more. All right. Dugout antics, you know, props in the dugout, the rally caps, all of that. Safer out. This is a hard one. This to <laughs> me, I have to give him a huge explanation. I give an explanation to all of them, but I have to give a huge one here. I know you're supposed to give me your call and then do it, but this one's hard. It's okay. I love what I see right now. I see the girls with the bananas, <laughs> the cut out Dixie cups, make goggles, the hats upside down. Yeah. The banana phones. Yeah. The banana phones. Um, the girls getting behind the coach while they're going to interview and chugging the water bottle and crashing on their head. Stone Cold <laughs> style. I love that stuff. I thought it jumped the shark a little bit with the props, the inflatables, right? right. That weren't currently in the dugout when girls made it about a pregame and, I don't like it in football either when they had props in football when Cotillo took a Sharpie out. For a touchdown celebration. For a touchdown celebration, yes, yeah. with a cell phone. That's premeditated. This is this is already in there. We're going to eat this banana after the game or in between innings. But right now, it's a phone. Yeah. I love that stuff. I was very off on chance when I first saw it. As you've used the term, I thought it was Bobby Sox. Um, just softball cheers. Just softball cheers. And... I thought of it as, you know, you're in college football now, or you're you're in college softball now. Be a little more professional. And then the more I started watching, it goes, oh, that's the fun part of it, is they're not professionals. They're still having fun with the game. And so I became all for it. And It's a way to stay loose, too. Right. So I'll say this. Softball's done an amazing job adapting to the game. They saw the props come in. They didn't ban them right away. Took some time. Said, you know what, Let's, let's do something different. We're not going to get rid of you having fun in the dugout with the banana phones and the Dixie cups, but we're going to make it more about what's already there. So I thought that was a great way to show how well softball is able to adapt to changing times. You know, they're the first ones really to open up this transfer portal, whether you like it or not. Same year, being able to play for a different team. That's progressive in the world of, of college sports. So um, I'm going to go tie goes to the runner. 
So it's a barely <laughs> safe because there were some caveats involved. Yeah, but at the same time, the XFL celebrations, literally your commissioner, Oliver Luck, contributing to the beer snake. Yes. On. You kind of have to say safe. Which I think that was a Guinness Book World Record for beer snakes. For those who don't know, it's <laughs> when the fans chug beer and then make stack the cups together, often called a cup snake or a beer snake. Ours went an entire section in Audi Field. Thinking back now with COVID being around at the time, I don't know if it was the safest thing to do. A little scary. A little, but, scary. Uh, <laughs> a little scary that we were putting right. that up on a pedestal. But um, <laughs> and then our fans actually paraded out of the stadium with it. And we were able to get a picture of the, the four recycle bins that had to be brought out to have the cup snake, the beer snake put in there. Gosh, XFL content was next level. Shoutouts, Rail. Shoutouts, Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sam. Not that you really had a choice because you are quarantined with me and my boyfriend, but yeah. still super interesting just to hear your thoughts as somebody who started a sports league, done all the research, a softball fan, knows the ins and outs. Really cool crossover episode. I don't know if I know the ins and outs of softball yet, but by the end of this podcast season, I think I will. Know you it. think you know the ins and outs? I'll, t- I'll mansplain to you every now and then. Yep, absolutely. I yeah. will do that. <laughs> now, while you go edit this, I'll go get you a bowl of ice cream. How's that sound? That's literally the dream. (laughs) You know your role. Know your role and get me ice cream. For the record, that ice cream was absolutely delicious. So I highly recommend that you get you a man that can do both. All right. Wrapping things up here with the double play tip of the week. So this week's tip is about stretching and warm-ups. And physically, you know, you always do this before a game or at the beginning of practice. And many people default to do static stretching. And that means basically when you're standing or sitting still in a static position and stretching a certain body part. So, for example, if you're trying to stretch your hamstrings and you stand up and just bend over and touch your toes, you're not really moving, that's a static stretch. But what's actually more effective to get the body going is a dynamic warm up. Dynamic meaning that you're actually moving while you're stretching. So for example, another way to help stretch your hamstring in a dynamic way would be walking toe touches, or some people call them marches. So you lift one of your legs up in front of you as high as you can comfortably, keeping it fairly straight, and you touch your toes with your fingertips, opposite arm, opposite leg, right? And you keep taking steps forward and alternating legs as you go. And to take it even further, actually, with the movement, as one leg lifts, Look to your other leg that's touching the ground and actually push off the ball of your foot and extend up off the ground. That's like how you'd push off the ground while reacting to make a play or base running, right? So you're basically touching your toes at the top and pushing off the ground at the same time. So you're almost stepping into or extending into the stretch. So since the goal is to get your body moving full speed for the game, then it makes more sense to gradually start moving in your warm-up especially if those movements can simulate movements you might make in the game, it's easier than trying to go from a static state straight into full speed movement. So that's the physical piece. Mentally, there's a few ways that you can frame it in your mind. It's not just about warming up, it's about activating your body. So the movements activate your muscles, your joints, it wakes everything up, and when your muscles are activated, they can fire the way you want them to when you want to perform. So activation is key. But even though dynamic movement is important, it's still gradual and intentional during that warm-up. Remember, we don't move fast to warm up. 
we warm up to move fast. So think of it that way. And lastly, static stretching isn't useless. It's better than nothing, but it also can be effective for the cool down after the game or practice or lifting or whatever activity you're doing. As your body is winding down to rest and intentionally get back to that static state, static stretching can be useful. So think of it as dynamic warm-up, static cool-down. That's the physical and mental side of stretching and warm-ups. Get moving. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available everywhere you get your pods, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Believe.com. Please subscribe, rate, share, keep reaching out to me on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera. As always, thank you for listening and catch you soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.